Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at Renaissance. It is so great to be with you again. Today's a special day. This is our first day back in our church building having in-person gatherings again. The first time we've been in our building together since we had to start canceling services back in March. And so I think I've went around the room and hopefully I've been able to say hello to everyone that's been in the room with us. But for all of you watching at home, we want you to know we miss you. And, and we think you're making the right decision to stay home and watch online. And whenever you feel comfortable and ready to come back, then we, we wait for you to come back and join us. But until then, we are going to try to do the same services that we are doing here in the main room with all the people who've gathered with us and give that same service to all of you that are watching at home. So all that to say, welcome. I'm so glad all of you are here. I was recently re-watching a Pixar movie. Uh, It's a Pixar movie. It's not one of the most popular ones. It's not Toy Story or Finding Nemo. It's a story called Up. Maybe you remember this. And in in this story, the main character is an elderly widower named Mr. Fredrickson. Mr. Fredrickson is an an older gentleman who lives by himself. um, And his neighborhood, his world is radically changing all around him. And he just doesn't like the change that's taking place. And early on in the movie, we are introduced to a second character, uh, a young boy whose name is Russell. And Russell is a wilderness explorer, which is Pixar's version of a Boy Scout. So he's a wilderness explorer with his merit badge sash in front of him that's just filled with all of his merit badges, but he's missing one. And so in this scene where we meet Russell and Mr. Fredrickson together for the first time, Russell goes and knocks on Mr. Fredrickson's door. And when he answers, he says, Mr. Fredrickson, is there anything that I can do for you? Is there anything that you need assistance with? And Mr. Fredrickson just gruffly says no and slams the door in his face. But he knocks again. He says, no, Mr. Fredrickson, I really want to help you. I want to assist you with something. And what we learned was Russell had one badge missing on his sash, and he desperately wanted to get that badge. But the only way he could get it is if he assisted an elderly person. And so he kept saying, Mr. Fredrickson, please, can I assist you to walk across the street? And he said, no, and shut the door. Can I assist you to walk across your yard or across your porch? And he said, no. And what we learned in that two-minute like little scene at the beginning of that movie is that Russell was actually showing us in our human nature what motivates us oftentimes. See, the story plays out that Russell wasn't actually looking to assist Mr. Fredrickson because he wanted to help him. He only wanted to assist him so that he could earn that badge so that he could then stand on a stage in front of all of his other wilderness uh, explorer friends and become a senior wilderness explorer. He wanted everyone to see his accomplishments. And that sort of speaks to our human condition too. What we learn is oftentimes what motivates us is not a desire to actually help other people, but to earn something by helping other people. There's a cultural idiom or proverb in our day that says this, that we are to go the extra mile with other people. 
It simply means something like this. If somebody were to ask you or to tell you to do something, that you do so without um, grumbling um, and then fulfill the task that they're asking you to do, but then to also do something extra. So for all of the children, this might sound something like this. When your parents ask you to go clean your room, like get those dirty clothes up off the floor in your bedroom, you'll go into your room and clean up all your dirty clothes, but you also might go the extra mile by making your bed or straightening up your closet or cleaning your desk off. Uh, Maybe for adults, it's those of us who work for an employer when the boss comes and says to us, hey, I need you to work on this project or or get this thing done for me. And and we do so, but we go the extra mile um, by doing something else that they didn't ask us to do. So when he, he or she, our boss, sees the work that we've done, they might actually say, wow, this worker is a really good worker. And secretly, we're hoping that maybe they'll they'll put us um, up for a raise that we need or that we'll, that we'll get that promotion that we've been longing for all this time. See, Russell's character is a picture of us. He was motivated not to just do something because it was the right thing to do. He was motivated to do something because he wanted to earn something from it. So when the children clean their room and they make their bed too and do more than their parents ask, maybe secretly, you know, you're wondering, well, if I do all of this, my mom and dad will notice and they'll take me out for ice cream later or you'll get some special thing that you want. And for us adults, it's because we're looking for a raise or promotion. But here's an interesting thing about that that phrase, go the extra mile. It's actually found in our Bibles. And it's it's not... um, something that just anyone said. It wasn't uh, something that Moses had said or Joshua or any of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John. It was actually something that Jesus said. Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, he is the one who said to go the extra mile. But we've turned that idiom, that proverb into just sort of a work ethic understanding, we somehow removed it from the original intent by which Jesus was speaking. Jesus was speaking that phrase, go the extra mile, in the middle of what we call uh, a, a sermon or a preach that Jesus was giving. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, and you can read about it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in the middle of this sermon, Jesus begins to speak to his people, the crowds that have gathered around him, and he begins to explain to them that God is desiring to establish his kingdom here on the earth. And to do so, it's going to have to displace the kingdom of this world. In fact, in the middle of that sermon, Jesus teaches his people how to pray. And in the middle of that prayer, he says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to establish his kingdom on the earth, and he's doing so through his son, Jesus. And so when Jesus is speaking to the crowds that have gathered around him, he begins to say things like this. You have heard it said this way, but I tell you, a different way. And he says that repeatedly in this sermon in the beginning. He goes, you have heard it said this way. Basically saying, you have been taught this, but I want to teach you a different thing. I want to teach you a different way. And time and time again, he uses that language. And what Jesus is hoping to do in the the middle of this sermon 
is to help his people see that God is asking um, his followers to be motivated by and to live by a, a different kingdom principle. It'd be the principles of God and of heaven, not of the principles of this world, which can oftentimes be more selfish in their motivations. And so as Jesus is talking to us, um, and to his disciples. Let me read this portion of scripture where we find that phrase, go the extra mile. It's in Matthew chapter five. I'm gonna start in verse 38 and read through verse 41. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic or your shirt, then you should let him have your cloak or your jacket as well. And here's the one that I want to focus on. Verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. There it is. He says, go the extra mile. Now, in that part of the Sermon on the Mount, the translators of the ESV, which is the English standard version of the Bible that I read, they sort of group those uh, verses together in uh, a grouping that they call retaliation. So as Jesus is talking about the... uh, leading people into understanding the kingdom of God. He has some, something to say about how we should respond to people when they wrong us, when they frustrate us, when they slander us, that there's a, a way that a Christian or a follower of Jesus should respond. And he speaks about that in this retali- retaliation portion. But for whatever reason, we have taken the go the extra mile teaching of Jesus And we've turned it into this work ethic idea that somehow, like Russell, if we work hard enough and earn all of the right badges, then we can somehow earn something from other people. That somehow if we can just follow uh, this ideology and, and go the extra mile with our employers, we'll gain that raise or maybe gain that promotion. The problem we have in that is it's, it's pointing to this ultimate reality is that you and I oftentimes we misread or misunderstand the Bible. Our culture certainly misunderstands and misreads the Bible constantly. And there are a number of ways that can happen. Oftentimes when we're reading the Bible, we, we forget to remember that the original authors were writing to people who lived some 2,000 or more years ago. And the, the listeners or the hearers of those stories lived in a world that's so radically different than our world. Just Not just the fact that it's 2,000 years ago or more, but also that they had different customs and ideas on how, things were, how their lives are supposed to be lived. So when we read the Bible, we oftentimes forget that, that they're actually writing to a group of people that we don't understand very well. And so it's always important for us to understand the context through which that phrase was being uttered. Who was Jesus talking to? What was he really saying when he said those words? Another way we can misunderstand or misread the Bible is when we take verses just out of context. 
which I, I think just plucking it right out of the middle of something else, which I think is what's happened to that go the extra mile verse is we've pulled it out of the teaching on retaliation and, and made it to be something else. And we can't do that with verses in the Bible. We can't just pull one out and use it for something to say that this is what we want to believe when that verse was actually inside of a chapter, which was inside of a book, which is inside of the whole book, the Bible. And to do so, it causes us to misread and misunderstand the Bible as well. But lastly, I think there's another reason that we um, misread the Bible is we have this propensity to just reduce the Bible, right? And all of its teachings from God and Jesus and and all of that, we just reduce it to be a book of morals to be learned and then lived. And it just strips the power from those verses. I'm here to tell you the Bible is so much more than just morals to be learned and lived. It tells the story of God and his relationship with his people. It tells the story of God trying to reestablish his kingdom on the earth. That which was lost in the Garden of Eden when mankind through Adam and Eve sinned against him, God has been on a quest to reestablish and restore relationship with his creation and reestablish his kingdom on the earth. And he's doing all of that through his son, Jesus. The God of the Bible, sorry, the goal of the Bible, rather, can't even read my own writing. (laughs) That's funny. The goal of the Bible is not to make moral people. Let me say that again. The, The goal of this Bible has never been in the heart of God to just make moral people. Rather, God wants to use the stories of his redemption story that's in the Bible. He wants to use the Bible to make Christians, which just means this, that he's going to speak to our um, moral failings. He's going to speak to our motivational failings, that the thing that drives us is not necessarily to do good for good's sake, but to do good because we want to earn something from it. This is Russell's problem in the story up. This is our problem in our lives. The goal of the Bible is to make Christians, that we would see the brokenness of our own hearts And that through Jesus Christ, we could be made new, born again, given a new heart, like the Old Testament says. And so then we can actually follow and live the life that God has for us. And we can't do so without becoming Christians. We can't do so without putting our faith in Jesus first. We can't do so by just following rules from the Bible. The goal of the Bible is to make Christians so people would have faith in Jesus, to make Christians who then would live morally and establish God's kingdom on the earth. It's more than just changing our actions. It's never been about regulating our behaviors. It's been more about finding what's driving our behaviors inside of us and dealing with that first. In today's world, and especially today. I mean, like if you just watch the news, you see quickly that our world is, is almost separating into two parts. There's those people on this side that think one way and there's another people on the other side that think another way. And, and the same could be true even in your schools. When you, the, the kids, when you guys get to go back to school, you, you see one group of friends likes to hang out together and they don't like this group of friends, but this group of friends likes to hang out and they don't want to hang out with this group of friends. And what we're learning is that there's just in our world today that there's uh, this idea that, that you have to say certain things. 
It's about what you should say versus what you don't say and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And there's, everyone's trying to um, modify our behavior and the things that we're saying and doing. But I argue that the problem with our world today is, is deeper than that. It's not about the things that we say or the things that we do. It's what's motivating us to say the things that we say. What's, what's driving us to do the things that we do? All uh, the issues in our world are really driven by that, our heart's motivation. So this passage that Jesus is talking about back in this retaliation portion of Matthew chapter five, he begins by saying this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now Jesus is quoting actually some Old Testament law And the Old Testament law was given to those people back in Moses' day, if you will, that when somebody harmed you or did something against you and you went to court against them, that the judgment that could be given to you should not exceed that which um, should not exceed the harm that was given to you. So he says, basically, if they harmed your eye, you could harm their eye. If they stole your goat, you can take one of their goats, right? And what this was to do, not, not so much to prescribe the judgment against a person, but to limit vengeance against a person or to limit revenge. Oh, they're going to take my goat. Well, I'm going to take 10 of their goats. And so God just says, no, we're going to level this. We're going to mitigate any revenge or vengeance. So when Jesus is talking about that, he says, you've heard it said that when someone harms you, you can harm them back. But the kingdom of God has a different way. In our world, we say, if somebody cuts us off on the, on the highway, then we can cut them off back. Or if someone butts in front of us in line at the movies or at Taco Bell, then we can do the same thing back. If somebody slanders us or says something bad about us on social media like Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you can say something back. You have the right to say something back. And Jesus is just saying, you have heard it said that that was okay in the kingdom of the world, but the kingdom of God just operates in a different way. Why don't you do something else? Then he mentions like, what if someone hits you on one cheek? Why don't you just turn him the other cheek? But wait, the Old Testament law says we, we should be able to hit them back. And he says, yeah, yeah, I know what that's, that's what you were taught once before, but I'm, I'm teaching you a different way. I want you to see things just a little differently. And, and all of this bothers us a little bit because sometimes we feel like because we've been offended, because the offense is against us, then we have a right to push back. We should be able to do some things. And it becomes very much focused on what we want, what I want, what I need, what I desire. And we forget for a moment that maybe God who's outside of us, who's omniscient, who knows everything, omnipresent, all places and all powerful. Maybe, maybe God sees this situation just a little different than you. And if we would allow him to seek judgment on our behalf, then we don't have to push back when we've been pushed. Years ago, when my daughters were younger, um, my wife came to me once and she says, hey, Jeff, just wanted to remind you that there's a a program at the girls' school tonight. This is like one of them grade school programs where the, each class gets up and they sing a song, probably pretty badly, but we go and we watch and we, we clap when they're done and then we all go out for ice cream after. And the whole thing lasts maybe an hour, but you know how it is when you're doing stuff at home and you're in the middle of something and you got to stop to clean up, to get ready, to go watch the thing at schools and your kid's on the stage for maybe five minutes and then it's a wasted night. And I remember getting so frustrated that my day had to be interrupted by this. And my wife, who is smarter than anyone I've ever met, (laughs) said, Jeff, do you know why I make you go to these things? 
It's so that when you're older and the girls have moved out and you're looking back into your memory banks of all the time you had with them, I make you go so you'll have a memory of this. I make you go so you'll remember something and you won't just have lived your life mowing the grass or working on the house or doing some other things. And I'm saying all that to say this, sometimes it takes a perspective that's outside of us to help us see what's really more important. And that's what Jesus is saying. You can stand in this moment and when someone harms you, you can just harm them back. Yeah, legally you have that right maybe, but what if there's a greater thing that's happening in your life? What if your refusal to strike back when someone harms you actually speaks to them about the compassion and mercy and grace of God? And what if the compassion and grace and mercy of God begins to soften their hearts so that one day they too become a Christian? You see, we just have to understand that there's oftentimes a greater perspective than even our own perspective. So we get to verse 41 and it says, now if anyone forces you to go one mile, you should go with them a second, or you should go with them two miles. You should go the extra mile. I understand that this teaching could probably be given this way, that oftentimes things are going to interrupt your life, much like going to your child's (laughs) program at school. And we need to be people who are okay with the interruptions that take place. And that's one way to understand this. When someone comes and asks you to do something and interrupts what you're doing, then you should go with them and not just go with them, but go with them extra, even when they don't ask. And what that does is that pushes against our sensibilities. It pushes against what we want and what we desire. In fact, there, I know people who would say this, well, I would go with them if they wouldn't demand me to go. If they would ask, I would go. But when they demand me to do it, then it's like, now you're speaking against my liberty or my freedom. You can't tell me what to do. But if they asked me, I would go. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's just almost silly talk. Again, it's very myopic. It's very focused upon ourselves instead of on other people. Jesus is saying, when an interruption comes, what if you just laid down whatever you had going And you went with them and you did the thing they asked you to do. And maybe you did a little extra and who knows God in his sovereignty is working something out that you can't even see yet. And I think that's a great way to teach that. But I mentioned earlier that when we read the Bible, we oftentimes forget the context by which things are written. I got to tell you, I think there's another meaning to this story. That's even more than living your life willing to be interrupted so that the things of God could could be fulfilled in your life. I think there's a deeper meaning here. The context of this being spoken is Jesus, right? The son of God is living in the first century in Palestine and and, and, um, they're currently under Roman rule. So the Jewish people don't have an independent state. The Jewish people can't make their own rules and live by their own rules. They're actually being controlled by a government that's far away. They have Roman soldiers telling them what they can and cannot do. And the Jewish people, they saw the Roman soldiers as enemies. And there's a Roman law that existed in the time of Jesus that said that at any point a Roman soldier could command a Jewish person to pick up his own gear and carry it for a mile. So at any point, a Roman soldier could walk up to a Jewish person and say, hey, I want you to carry my, my bags. I want you to carry my luggage. I want you to carry my, my shield and my sword. I'm too tired to carry it. I want you to carry it a mile. And they were legally bound to carry it for a mile. And Jesus says, oh, when, when a Roman soldier asks you, or rather, when a Roman soldier forces you to go with him a mile and carry all his stuff, Jesus says, go to. 
Jesus says, when your enemy comes to you, the one you can't even stand, and when he tells you to do something, you should do it and even do more. This, is, this pushes against everything that we believe in our world. We are so, uh, um, we have become such a people who want to live in our own camps with people of like-minded interest doing all the like-minded things and everyone else somehow becomes a, a, an enemy, so to speak. And we don't ever want to be told what to do from those people outside of our group. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God as it establishes itself on the earth, requires us to, su- to submit even to the words of our enemies sometimes. We, we sometimes feel this way, that those of us in the church, because we've been chosen by God and we've become Christians, because our lives have been transformed, that somehow we have a, a, a this secret knowledge or some, we're sort of in a club with God and everyone else is outside of the club. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, the Bible is quick to remind us that all of us were outside of the club before Jesus invited us in. In fact, Paul, the apostle writes in, in his letter to the Romans, he says, we were enemies to God in our sinfulness. You hear that? We were enemies to God and yet God came and showed grace and mercy in compassion towards us. And he didn't have to. And the model of Jesus in our own life is that when, when our enemies force us to act in a way that we don't want to act, we do so out of the grace and the compassion and the mercy that flows out of us because of Jesus. It flows out of us because our inside parts have been changed. Our, our motivators, our little engines inside of us that used to want to do only the things that we wanted to do has been changed Now God's spirit dwells or lives inside of us and it is pulling us into the ways of God. And we can act with compassion to people that we don't like. And we can allow people to slander us and say things against us and not fight back in retribution. We can trust God to take care of all of it for us. One of the things that... um, we need to understand is that this is not an easy way to live. I know living like this is difficult and challenging, but we have to be thankful that when God gives opportunities in our lives, when we are um, finding ourselves in a situation where uh, one of these scenarios comes up where we have been pushed or we've been um, cut off on, on the highway or we've been slandered or whatever on social media, that we don't have to respond the way we want to, but we can actually respond the way God would want us to. And in so doing, it's helpful. So when those situations come up in our lives, we have to see them from what they are. They're great opportunities for us to see what is motivating us. I mean, I'm watching that scene in Up and I see quickly Russell does not want to help Mr. Fredrickson. He only wants the merit badge. And when these situations come up in our lives, we might be quick to see, I don't want to act a certain way because I, I want to do something for me. I want to earn something for me. I don't want to help someone else. I don't want to show grace and compassion. Yes, I know I have liberties. I know I have freedoms, right? But I don't want to lay those things down for someone else. And when, when those 
things are exposed in our uh, motivational centers or the heart of our being, we need to quickly confess them and repent. Repent is just a fancy church word for turn around and think differently about it. So as Jesus is telling his disciples, the kingdom of God is different than what you're used to. And, and when you face situations and scenarios that, that expose that, then you need to see them for what they are and admit that you're not living the way God has for you. And I think that's okay. So when these things come up, we go, man, I, I'm selfish. I'm not living the way God wants me to. I don't want to obey my parents and do what they're asking me to do. And I'm certainly not going to do extra for them. I, I don't want to obey my boss. I don't want to stay late. I've got plans tonight. I don't want to work harder than what they're paying me for. Whatever the thing is, when those situations come up, we realize our motivations are wrong. Then we have to change. And know this, as J.P. Lang writes in his commentary on Matthew True repentance is painful, but it's salutary. <laughs> True repentance is painful, but it's beneficial, is what he's saying. True repentance is painful, but it benefits us. So let me stop here and, and just call out a couple things that I think would be helpful for us. When we find ourselves in situations where our motivations have been revealed to not be kingdom of God oriented, more kingdom of this world or our own selfish desires, we need to at least admit that and then ask God to grace us or to help us to meet his high standard of our living. We need to ask God to help us meet his high standard of apprenticeship to Jesus or discipleship in Jesus. That if we're going to be like Jesus, it's going to cost us a lot and it's hard and we're going to need his help. So we ask God to grace us, to help us. We have to be mindful of all of our motives and attitudes. Um, Hear me, not just in public, not just when you're in the classroom and your teacher's paying attention, right? Not just when you're um, at work and your boss is paying attention or not just when you're at Taco Bell or Walmart and other people are around, but also privately. Like, what do you, what do you murmur underneath your breath when someone cuts you off in traffic? What do you secretly say in, in your mind when, when somebody butts in front of you at the lunch line or does something during recess that no one else saw, right? And you, and you just think like hard thoughts against that person. We need to pay attention to those things. And when we're acting incorrectly, again, ask God to grace us. And then ask Jesus to help us in making the corrections that are necessary. Know this, Jesus is, is so good to us he would never just tell us a way to live and not help us to live that way. That's called cruelty. (laughs) If he just told us to live a certain way that was too hard for us and didn't help us change, he's not a good God, but he is good. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit equips us. He helps us to live a changed life. When you and I don't want to change, if we admit that, and if we ask God to help, then the Holy Spirit can come in and he can help us live differently for us. I'll close with this last story. Um, I have two daughters, many of you know them, Riley and Reagan. Uh, Riley's older, Reagan's younger. And when they were really, really young, 
uh, Reagan <laughs> used to continually uh, torment her older sister. I'm a, I'm a younger brother. I have an older brother, so I totally get it. She got it naturally for me. I get it. I was constantly bothering my, my older brother. But I remember one time in particular, Riley was really upset that Reagan, her younger sister, kept pestering her and bothering her. And she just said, Dad, would you help me with this? She won't leave me alone. And so I go to Reagan and I say, Reagan, you have to stop doing this. Okay, Daddy. And then an hour later, she'd done it again. Reagan, you can't do this anymore. Okay, Daddy. An hour later, she'd done it again. And so at this time, it's, it's time out. You got to go to your room. And and, and she's crying and she's thrown, throwing herself on the bed and she's just weeping. And it's beyond I'm upset, I don't get to do what I want. She's crying because she's hurting. So I go in, I say, what's wrong, sweetheart? And she says, dad, I know you told me to stop doing this, but dad, I've tried. I can't stop doing this. And I remember right there, I said, baby, what you need then is Jesus to come into your heart and to change you from the inside. That's what you need. Do you want Jesus to change you on the inside? Yes, daddy, I do. See, the, the mindset of, of that girl, my daughter, should be our mindset. When we are in a place where we just can't do it, we have to ask Jesus to help us. Anyways, I love you guys. That's my time. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who through him alone, you are reestablishing your kingdom on the earth. That we have been separated you, we have been separated from you by our sin, but Jesus has come to die as a ransom for us on the cross that we might be free from the punishment and the judgment of sin, that we can be made new and born again, and that we can have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living inside of us to help us to change. God, you can establish your kingdom on the earth through us. But God, it's going to require that we repent or we change our thinking about a lot of different things. Jesus, you had said, you have been taught this. You have heard it said this, but I'm telling you a different way. God, we ask that you would teach us the different way. We love you, God, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.